0: What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast.
1: You're invited to join the club for episode 149 as we chat with copywriter Lindsay Hottmeyer about her framework that helps clients understand how she helps them brand their businesses Her interest in phenomenology and how that impacts her business, changing niches and focusing on the clients she loves, and the number one thing that's helped her push her business forward... Welcome Lindsay. Hey, so excited to be here. I know we're excited too. And we're um, you know really grateful that we've been able to get to know you better through the think tank and just chatting with you recently about all the changes you've made in your business and some of the frameworks you're developing. Uh, we were like, we've, we've got to talk to you about this. And of course, hit record as we're chatting through some of this. So why don't we start with your story? How did you end up as a copywriter? Yes, so my story, I I always tell people I hate
2: telling my own story. I like to collect people's stories better. But um my story, you know, really starts I guess professionally back in 1999 I graduated from college. You know, that was a time where I guess the internet existed but barely. You know, Napster was still a thing. Facebook and LinkedIn, they didn't even exist. And so I, I knew I loved to write, but I graduated from college with a education degree. I was going to teach high school English. I thought that that's what I wanted to do because I understood even then the power of language to kind of change lives. And I thought, what better place to do that than in a classroom? And I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't really the place for me. I just my husband is an educator. He's spent his life teaching educators, and so I have the utmost respect for educators, but it just isn't it wasn't my place. that's that wasn't my passion. And so by the time I had baby number two, I decided to step out of the world of education. and so over the next few years, as I was having babies raising my family, I did lots of things part- time. I worked in a law office. I taught part- time at a university. I worked on local political campaigns, and I became an activist for sustainable agriculture. And that is the thing that really changed everything for me. That's how I became a copywriter. 15,000 hogs turned me into a copywriter. And the story is really, I became an activist for sustainable agriculture and realized that all the processes laid out for me to affect odds change, you know, the democratic processes, they weren't working. And I just thought if I'm going to affect change, the only way I can do it is through the written word. And so I went on got my master's in professional writing and started freelancing. A few years later, I became assistant director at in comms and marketing at a small private university and spent a few years in that job and then. Some things change, you know, turnover and different staff, and it just realized it's time for me to get out. And so I said, okay, Lindsay, when you're making as much freelancing as what you are at this full-time job, you can quit. And that was about three months. And that was back in April of 2016. And now here I am.
0: So, I want to go back to the hogs. Like, you know, what do you have against hogs? And what, like, how did that start the whole thing? Was it, was this, you saw like farming, farming wasn't good. And so you wanted to make changes. Like, I'm, I'm curious about the, the trigger here that, that made you the copywriter.
2: Right. So, yeah, totally unlikely thing for me to ever get involved with. But my husband and I had bought a house, we completely gutted it, renovated it moved in 3 months later 15,000 hogs became our our neighbor um surrounded surrounded us within 3 square miles and the way that we lived in Ohio at the time the way Ohio law is written is um they were all unregulated so there was no watchdog so one farmer had all of these hogs um and there's there's just no watchdog and that just concerned me because i thought what's this doing to our water. Uh, you just had to step outside to know what it was doing to your air. Uh, and more importantly, more significantly to me was what it was doing to the fabric of the communities. You know, you had these small rural communities that had been very historically, you know, close-knit communities. Several dozens of the families had lived there for generations, and it was tearing um, our community apart at the seams. And so, when I got my master's in professional writing, my thesis was I traveled all throughout the state of Ohio and captured the stories of these neighbors of rural farms all throughout the state and it was the same tale of people losing faith in the democratic process, um, their communities falling apart, friends becoming enemies, just just sad tales of disillusionment. And so, yeah, it just changed my life. It completely changed my life, and so I kind of look back at it and laugh. Um, but yeah, it was really a life changing moment for me. So I still eat bacon, though. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so so it couldn't have been that bad. No, I. But it is it is interesting that you know things like that can have such a profound impact on like a career change. So jumping forward, then, you know, when you decided to leave your job, but you wanted to make sure that you were making enough in freelance, what did you do to get yourself out in front of clients? Because three months feels like a pretty short timeline to replace a full time income.
2: Right? Well, a few things. So number one, keep in mind, I was working at a small private university. And so we're not talking a lot of income for anybody who works in that field. You know what that's like. It's not It's not like I was replacing a six-figure income. So that's number one. Uh, number two is that in that kind of 10-year span that I was doing lots of things in the midst of raising four babies, I, um, I freelanced. And so I left that network behind when I stepped into the full-time workforce. And so that was my first step was to reach back out to that old network and say, hey, I'm back in the game. And so if you have anything that you need or you know anybody who does, please direct them to me. And really just by a lot of grace, I feel things just moved in my in my direction. And, you know, the day that I quit my job, I walked, I walked out, drove home, got home in a the phone rang and it was a um, husband of a friend of mine who said, hey, I heard you quit and we need a researcher at our marketing agency. Would you wanna do this on retainer basis? And that was almost like two thirds of my income that I just had walked away from that retainer was. And so that was a huge plus and bonus for me as well was to be able to get on something like that. And so that's, that's how that worked for
1: me. And what, what type of projects were you taking during that time? So you mentioned a retainer. Were you mostly taking on retainers? Did you develop and find a niche early on? Uh, what did it, that look like in those early days? Yeah, absolutely not. I
2: wasn't mostly retainers. It was that one retainer, and then the rest was just hodgepodge. I took on really anything that came to me, partly because I – maybe of my scrappy personality, I'm just going to get in there, you know, like a old, like a cross country runner and use your elbows to to nudge in and out and just do what you have to do to, to win the race. And so I was willing to take on really any type of client that came to me. And um, so I don't know if I just answered your
1: question, Kara, or if I talked around that, but Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering also, you know, what, like, what was the big thing or one thing that helped you grow the most in those early days in your business? Because we know behind the scenes that you had a lot of success early and you became that six figure, you know, sought after business owner. So what, um, you know, one or two things that really helped you grow and helped you accelerate during that time?
2: Right one of the thing was just getting the right processes in place and so early on i was a an early student of brennan dunns and he introduced a lot of processes just from a business perspective because i wasn't business minded i didn't have a business degree i had never run my own business and so taking his course it was double your freelancing course and i don't even know that he still offers that but that course kind of introduced me to oh This is what it's supposed to look like to run a business. And this is how I should approach my clients when I'm having conversations with them. These are the things I need to do. And so I started to put those processes in place. And I don't know if it was as more a result of a mindset shift that it forced within me or just a combination of the mindset shift and those processes. But I felt like things started to shift because people saw me as a legitimate business person and not just somebody making a few bucks on the side. So that was a big part for me is just getting those processes in place. The other thing was just community. And I, you know, you know, a plug for the copywriter club and just being in community with people like you or other freelancers that I knew and having people to bounce struggles off of, questions, just to know that I wasn't in it alone. That was huge as well. Because it. if you don't have that, you can get stuck in the rut and quit. And having people to say, no, this is normal, or absolutely not, you shouldn't do you shouldn't do a project like that for that amount, or whatever the question was, just just helped me keep putting one foot in front of the other, because it is hard in those early days. And it's hard now. And so you need people to kind of push you when you just want to stop.
0: Yeah. So we know that you've kind of been going through a little bit of transformation in your business over the last few months, as you've been thinking about the kinds of clients that you want to work with. Will you tell us a little bit about that and how your business has been changing over the last, say, six to 12 months?
2: Yeah. So, you know, as we talked earlier, when I first got started, I just did any any type of client. And I still... I'm not 100% niched down, just really out of necessity. You, know, you, you want to make an income. And so I haven't 100% niched myself down, but my niche is coaches and influencers. And that really was, as you mentioned, Rob, a process for me to get to. And over the last couple of months, it's just really been a process of me almost what I have come to call unbranding myself. Just stepping out of the noise long enough that I can really do some deep work and figure out what it is that really makes me tick and move first. Because once I was able to discover that, that's what I knew I wanted to offer to my clients. And through working with numerous types of industries, really realized it's really this coaching industry that, that allows me to bring most of my strengths to the table and help my clients in the best way, it's the way that I'm wired. And so why am I not? Why am I avoiding that niche? Or why have I not stepped into that yet? And so just getting the courage to step out and do that has been probably, like you said, the last six months or so.
1: Yeah, and I would definitely want to talk about unbranding yourself. Um, But, you know, I think there was, well, I know there was a point where you were feeling some tension in your business, which is why you know probably why you joined the think tank and why we started connecting too. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what that looked like in your business before you niche down, before you started unbranding yourself? Because it's really easy to think and hear about other copywriters who are running six-figure businesses and seem to have all the answers and have it figured out. Um, and you had that, but there was something that still wasn't really working for you, or maybe even lighting you up. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and the catalyst for change? By all the numbers I am, and I
2: was a successful copywriter, you know, six figure months are pretty much the norm for me, but it's kind of like that, the, the, the adage of the person who has it all and still isn't happy. And that, that was me, like something just isn't clicking. And I feel like I'm just churning and never getting anywhere. Like I'm stuck on this hamster wheel and what am I not doing right? And so, yeah, that's where just working with with you guys and talking with others and just forcing myself through some really deep thinking that has led me to kind of where I'm at now.
1: And what does the unbranding Uh, process look like for you? What have you had to do during that time? Maybe, you know, some takeaways too, for other copywriters who are struggling with this. Right.
2: It's a really, really what it is, is it's a deep work. And so it's, it's my, my framework, I guess, so to speak, is called the unbrand method. And it's really what I take my own clients through. And You know, how can you take your clients through something if you haven't gone through it yourself? And so just going through this deep work that centers on really three questions, which is what is my why, what's missing from my market, and what can I do to make an impact? And those questions may feel pretty simple on the surface, but really when you Really, when you dig in deep, it's they aren't. It's not a simple process to answer them, and they shouldn't be quick answers. And so, the fact that it's taken me three years to discover that, I don't, I don't look back at that with regret or think, "Man, you did something wrong, Lindsay." It was part of my journey, and so I think that that's part of you know copywriters who are maybe struggling with figuring themselves out now. It is part of the journey, and to just give yourself space to figure it out. But you can get there by asking yourself those three questions.
0: So I can, I'm hoping I can get very real here. How did you answer those three questions for yourself? You know, what what is your why, and and you know, what is the impact that you're having?
2: Yeah. So I guess. The how probably roots in, this is what Kira talked about earlier in the introduction, the whole idea of phenomenology, which is a philosophy and a research science that really seeks to get to the essence of the lived experience. So like one moment in time and to, to go back to kind of one moment in time and get to the point of how were, what were you thinking? How were you feeling before life had a chance to color that experience. And so I worked to get to that kind of that essence of myself and to go back to number 1, what is my why? And so I started churning through a lot of different themes like looking at what are what are the central themes that are running through your through my life and looking at those themes and identifying them and then once I was able to identify those themes those serve as the lenses or the filters through which you kind of sort and think through everything else. It's like your North star. It it became my guiding, my guiding navigation for, okay, if these are the themes, then everything else I do from here on out needs to align with those themes. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I, I want some examples because I think this process is really, really cool. So, um, Let's bring it to life. If you don't mind, what are some examples of those themes that helped you develop your why? Yeah. So
2: this actually happened for me when I was on the middle in the middle of the ocean on a boat, kind of completely disconnected. And I had one of those true aha moments and I got off the boat, couldn't talk to my husband fast enough, you know, and was like, I have it. And why in the heck has it taken me this long to get here? Because it's it's run through everything that I've done with my entire life. And so for me, those themes, the, the overarching theme is really just, I guess, number one, authenticity. But when you break that down is just really helping people see what is unseen. And so when I realized, Lindsay, this is what you're good at. And your whole life, you've been looking at the unspoken. You've been looking at the codes in language. This is what you've been doing with every aspect, every part, every you know, small career or big career that you've ever had. This is what you've done. So why are you not doing that in your business? And so once I realized that and I understood that that is my why, that is what drives me, then I was able to answer those other questions.
0: And and how has that led you to you know working with coaches and other people who are affecting change in people's lives?
2: Well, you know, if I can if I can tell you a little a little bit of a story, kind of answer it through story. And it goes way back to the early fourth century BC. There's a philosopher, his name is Diogenes, and he was an eccentric philosopher, probably known as one of the most eccentric philosophers that there are. Today, we would call him crazy. He he lived, he lived in a clay tub that was, you know, a clay wine tub. He walked the streets of Athens. Um, he just was a little, he said some really crazy things. But one day he was walking around with a lamp in broad daylight. And when fellow Athenians asked him about it, he said, Even with a lamp in broad daylight, I cannot find a real human being. And so they looked at him and they were like, Diogenes, we're real human beings. And he looked at them and said, no, I'm looking for a real human being. And there's a lot of ways that people apply the meaning of that story. But really, to me, it means for him, it wasn't enough to show up with bones and skin. A real human being was much more than that. And then Nietzsche, hundreds of years later, went on to say, whoever is searching for the human being first must find the lantern. And I, the lesson here for me as a professional is that it's my job to help my clients find their lanterns. I have to dig beyond the structure and dig beyond the frame in order to arrive at something truly authentic. And so we are told Through So much that we read and so much that we hear that the process of branding, it's almost like there's this unspoken idea that it's easy. You know, if you Google anything, it's the seven steps to branding or the 10 steps to have an irresistible brand or do these five things and you can become a six figure earner just like I am. And while those frames and structures are good, they can also become really disillusioning pretty quickly because people try them and they don't work. And the problem, I believe, the problem with why they don't work is because that deep work is never done. And so there's a deep work that has to be done before a framework can be applied successfully and authentically and so that's what I do with my clients. I say, let's let's push pause on the frameworks. Let's push pause on all the step-by-step processes. And let's go to the first step, which is that deep work of asking why and what's missing and what can I do to make an impact. And really just trying to get to the core of that and not just asking some of those basic questions, but just delving deep, um, asking a lot of what I call adverb questions, which are the, you know, how, why, where, when asking those questions until you really can kind of identify the main themes that are emerging from,
1: from your client's lives. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, this is a newer framework that you've developed. It's taken time to develop it. Um, can you speak to kind of almost like the before and after, um, how developing this has helped you in your business. It might be too soon to say, well, I've, you know, I've increased my client load or I am attracting more of the right people, but has it changed anything for you even, um, internally and how you do your work and think about your business now that you've pulled together so many of these ideas and done the deep work yourself?
2: Yeah. You know, I think that framework's And ideas like this are almost more for the professional, you know, for the copywriter or whoever it is than it is for the client, because it is a way of you thinking through your process and how you're going to present things and talk about them and lead clients through. There's so much behind the philosophy of phenomenology and behind my framework that my clients will never see But it will always inform what I do and how I ask them questions and how I dig into their information. And so that is probably the biggest benefit for me, at least at this point, is I feel like it has helped me probably organize my own thought and present a path for me to move forward on, as opposed to me just listening and looking at everybody else and saying, okay, so and so is saying this, and this person is saying this who do I listen to now it's
1: Lindsay, this is who you are and this is what you believe that's the path that you walk on yeah and I know when we first started talking about frameworks and your framework you were against frameworks and you were you know like more your your inner contrarian came out which we love so much about you you're just like <laughs> I don't really believe in frameworks um,
0: It was the anti-framework framework.
1: framework. Right, right. And it's evolved over time. So what advice would you give to other copywriters who maybe do see the value in this and creating their own framework, um, but struggle to figure out how to even step forward and start creating their framework?
2: Yeah, it is funny, because I was, I did think I was anti framework. And then I remember having a conversation with either both of you or just one. And I said, it's not really that it's that people over rely on the framework, and then it dilutes their genuine, authentic selves. And so that's, that's what it is for me that. um Yeah, that you, you need to tra- treat the framework as the guide rather than the thing that actually defines. And so, you know, for other copywriters who are looking for a way, I guess my, my suggestion would be to start with, you know, what is your why? And that's, that's not my question. That originates from Simon Sinek, and maybe it originates beyond him. I don't know. But, you know, to start with that, to do that deep work and to say, what is my Why? And really, that process goes back to rooting in phenomenology. And so you have to kind of do five steps to answer those three questions. What is my why? What's missing from my market? And what can I do to make an impact? Those are questions that are hard to do alone. So you really need somebody else to help talk you through these because we are too close. You know, we we're, we're too close to our own lives to be able to see some of these things. And so you need to be able to step back and have somebody else peer in with you. So you have to slow down and identify what is it that commits you to your world and to your market. Uh, that is really what your why is. What is it that commits me to my world? And what is it that commits me to my market? For me, that answer was, I want to help people live their best lives and be authentic doing it not feeling like they have to step into this marketing trap. Number two, they need to be, you need to be honest about the way, this is a big one for me. You have to be honest about the way you live out your life versus the way that you conceptualize your why or your life. Be honest about the way you live out your why versus how you conceptualize it. And this is so huge because we can get caught up in who we think we ought to be versus who we really are. So case. In point, when I first got into copywriting, I thought I was going to be in the SaaS world, which is hilarious if you know me because I do not belong in SaaS. Right. I mean, that's not like, like soulless work to me. Sorry, Rob. But some, you know, some, some of people us have no souls. Really and
0: so we fit very, yeah, <laughs> very closely into that work.
2: I, I was going to, I wasn't going to say that. I was not going to say that, but we carry a lot of kind of assumptions and biases into the decisions that we make. And so if we can't identify those assumptions and biases first, we can we'll never be able to move past them. We'll carry them with them. We'll carry them with us in every decision that we make. We'll let them color our perceptions. And so it starts with identifying those assumptions and, and your biases. And so my assumption was, well, I need to be in SaaS or the startup world because that's where the money is and that's how I'll be successful. And that was that probably took me a a year of my professional life for me to realize how deeply flawed that was. But I was listening to what everybody else was saying. And so that's the road that I was going down. When I was finally honest with the way that I was living out my why, that's when I was able to start finding my way to clarity. Uh, The third thing is you have to do what I call find and sort. So this is where the whole idea that I've talked about with the, the themes that run through your life, you have to identify those. And then you have to start sorting everything else you do through those themes. That's where you're going to get the consistency of thought and action. That's where you're going to be able to really align your purpose, your ethos, your impact, all of those things. But the themes are the things that guide you. Fourthly, you have to immerse yourself in your market, in your audience. You know, this we we tell our our clients this, we have to do it for ourselves as well so that we can really understand how our market thinks and sees the world. Um, and we just kind of do what researchers call eavesdrop into our market, you know, to listen in and really capture the essence of, of what our market is thinking and perceiving. And then the last thing is a constant zooming in and zooming out. It's kind of looking at the parts and looking at the whole Kind of like when you have a Google map and you're lost, and so you might zoom way out, and then you really want to see some mile markers to help guide you. And so you're going to zoom close. And so you're always zooming in closely and zooming out, and just so that you can get a holistic perspective of what's going on. And then to recognize that that's a cycle that never stops. Like we don't ever arrive as people, as copywriters there's never a point where we arrive. If we do, what's the saying? If you have ever arrived, you're dead, right? Is that how the <laughs> saying goes? <laughs> I think so. Something like well, that. <laughs> just to not be afraid of growth and pivoting. Like I think we perceive pivoting as crap. I've done something wrong. And now I've wasted three years of my life down this road. But Each of those experiences delivers something new and rich to the next experience that is to come. And so to just trust the journey, I guess
0: so yeah as you've gone through this process then you know tell us how it's changed the kinds of clients that you're looking to work with so obviously we've, we've talked a little bit about the kinds of clients that you you know are going after now coaches that that sort of thing but I know for a fact like you've had to say no to some decent clients you've been working with in the past in order to clear time to go after these new clients how like how have you been going about that and what's the impact been on your business has that been easy is it, is maybe part of it
2: yeah, it's not easy because it's not easy to turn money away. That's pretty scary to say goodbye to a client or to say no to a possible client. Um, because I see and do- I see in dollar signs as do most of us. You know, it's like, am I going? I have four children. Am I going to be able to put my daughter through college if I say no to this client? It's a very scary and uncertain reality of being in business, but. When I always have that why before me when I'm when I'm looking at Lindsay, this is your why. And so you need to move forward in this if you're going to be true and authentic. If you're gonna show up authentically for your clients and be able to deliver the best product to them, then then I have to operate in that sweet spot. Otherwise, I'm not showing up for them. And so then I'm being forced to revert and rely back on those frameworks and kind of step-by-step processes, which are good, except I'm not able to do that deeper work. And so it just produces kind of same old, same old marketing that looks like everybody else's. And I don't want to deliver that for my clients Clients don't want that. And so that's my overarching question. How can I deliver something good and true? Well, the the answer is to remain good and true to myself. And so, yeah, I have had to say goodbye to some clients who um, maybe were slowing me down. I've had to refer clients on who I knew that is not in my niche. And so it's going to take time away from me doing what I need to do. And really what that has allowed here in the last few months is for me to just dig into my own thought processes and flesh out my framework and to really think about who it is that I am and who it is that I want to be and how I want to move forward. All
1: right. I'd love to talk about visibility and... um... Showing up online, because I know we've talked a lot about this, and uh, it's not easy to do this and to just start showing up and talking about your why and sharing it. Uh, so what does this look like for you? I guess even the journey of showing up uh, over the last six months or year? I think it's really just starts with not being afraid to show up. And
2: so for me, really putting my toe in the water first probably began back in the underground, when I signed up for a hot seat with you guys, I mean, that was a safe space, but it was me kind of sticking my stake in the ground saying, okay, I'm, I'm not going to hide in the shadows anymore. And then from there, I committed to showing up more regularly on LinkedIn. And I think I had like a 30 day challenge for myself. It's nothing I published or it was just, you know, you you need to show up every day on LinkedIn for 30 days. And I did. And I, I don't have this amazing success story to say, you know, and I got $20,000 as a result of my efforts. It it didn't happen like that. It's, it's a slow, arduous journey um, to where some days I'm like, screw LinkedIn, I'm never going back again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Felt that a few times, yeah.
2: Yes, yes. But what I've noticed, while it hasn't delivered paying clients in my inbox, it has created a lot of opportunity for discussions and conversations and people connecting with me that maybe wouldn't have otherwise. And so for me, Online, you know, I don't have this overnight success because I followed this formula that worked for somebody else. And wow, look, it did the same for me. That's not been my journey, but it's certainly my lack of wild success hasn't deterred me. I think I've looked at showing up online as more of an experiment of let's see what works and be willing to test it, be willing to put yourself out there and just show up. It really is just a, just show up.
1: Well, and maybe that's the advice to give, but for a copywriter who's listening and is like, okay, you know, yeah, I want to show up. I get that that's the first step, but I feel like I have nothing new to say or nothing interesting. And I don't have Lindsay's interesting framework to share. What advice would you give to that copywriter?
2: You know, I had the same thing. Like how many times can you talk about the same Process or the same email strategy. How? So I'm just going to be quiet. You know, if I don't have anything new to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. That was pretty much my mentality for a long time as well. And, you know, another quick story. My husband and I were just in Kentucky uh, this last weekend and spent a couple of days on the Bourbon Trail. And if you've never been there and you like bourbon, you need to go. That's just a shameless plug because it was just a really fun few days going to all of these different bourbon distilleries. And the story that I learned is, you know, during Prohibition, all of the distilleries minus like two um, shut down. Bourbon is only made in the US. um, But all of the distilleries it went from like 2000 in the country down to 60. And uh, I think now we're at 70. And in Kentucky, I think it was just maybe two distilleries that existed. My history is probably fuzzy on that, but the point was for me as we went from distillery to distillery is we were drinking bourbon. Bourbon is bourbon. It's made from the same ingredients, but if you are a bourbon lover, you know that no brand is the same. Every brand has their special spin that they put on things. And they all focused on the lived experience of the master distiller or of the distillery they all focused on their story and that was just a lesson for me just a strange marketing lesson that maybe still doesn't make sense and I'm just trying to stretch it but I think that there's a marketing lesson in this bourbon trail of you may be selling the same thing but it's your story and your experience and your journey that shows up to differentiate you and that's what you need to leverage That's people aren't really investing in brands at the end of the day, they're investing in the personality behind it, and what that person brings to the table. And so let that part of you shine and just don't be afraid to show up authentically. And don't worry about repeating somebody else's lesson, so to speak, because you're you're delivering it in your own way with your own spin. And that's what makes you special.
0: I, I really like that. I think there's some really good takeaways from that uh, to, to put into all of our businesses. So, Lindsay, where does your business go from here? You know, as you've gone through this process, you've identified, you know, new clients or uh, potential new clients, and you're starting to move into that. Like, how do you move forward? What are the next steps?
2: Well, that's the magic question. <laughs> <laughs> for, for me personally, how do I move forward? What are my next steps? I am focusing on offering coaching and messaging strategy to coaches and influencers. That is my niche, that's my sweet spot. That's that's where my focus has to be 100%. And so that's where I'm at right now and I'm also really focused on just investing in me as a brand. I guess I hate to say to call myself that. It kind of goes against everything that I'm preaching, but Investing in myself. So, uh, updating my website, getting a new website, just kind of defining myself in a way that better reflects the who of me. And so, that's been exciting just to invest in myself a little bit as a business. You know, invested in creating, my, creating a nice office space for myself after three years. You know, I've said, this is, it's time for me to be the real deal here and have a nice office space. So that's, that's where I, that's where I'm at right now with my business is just making some investments in myself to that really reflect on an outward level, where I feel that I am on an inward level. And
1: so yeah, that's where I think I will be for the next couple months. What are some of the other investments? I mean, you mentioned the office space, and I, I'm, I'm with you there. But can you get, share any other specific examples of those investments that you plan on making? Yeah, so I'm currently working with a web designer to
2: move myself away from the DIY website to a more professional website. And for me, that's huge, because that's always been like the wart on my face, so to speak, like, okay, yeah, here's my website, please don't, please don't look at it too closely. That makes me feel like, okay, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna show up in this space and be serious, then let's, let's actually look at and that's the biggest for me that along with some brand photography, that goes beyond just the typical headshot just to try to capture the essence of me and to let that come through for my clients so that they can see that. I think photography does do a lot when it comes to clients meeting you for the first time online. And so I really want them to get an accurate representation of who I am. Those are probably the biggest, those, those are probably the biggest investments, you know, beyond that this year, earlier this year, I made small investments like in uh, proposal software and even just my own Zoom account, you know, small things that go a big way in allowing you to show up in a professional way.
1: Can you share your schedule with us? I mean, not your exact schedule, but I always love to hear about how copywriters lay out their day or even their week. So whatever you're comfortable sharing, but how do you schedule your time so that you can fit in the client work? And you can also fit in a lot of this deep work that is such a big part of your client work and your own business. How do you lay this out? Plus, plus you have four kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have a growing family, you have four kids. So what does this look like?
0: Yeah. We, we want your secrets on how you get stuff done.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard one because it is always changing because of having four children. They, they're all home still for the summer. And so that makes things challenging having a office that the, kids and the dog plow through the door, even when it's closed, it requires a constant flexibility. But so generally, when they are in school, my day runs from 830 to about four o'clock. And then four o'clock hits, and it's time to be mom and Uber driver running them everywhere that they need to go. So (laughs) that's generally the schedule Monday through Friday, I don't, I don't work a few hours a week, I work pretty much solid, you know, 8.30 to 4. And I don't do a really good job at at tracking my hours on odd things. Like, you know, I'll track my client hours. But then when I'm at the computer, answering emails or working on my own stuff, I'm not tracking my hours. And so when I say I'm at in my office, five days a week, 8.30 to 4.00, that's not all client work. And so to answer your question, how do you find time to work on some of this other stuff? That's how it's tucked in there. I just can't tell you when because it's really driven by a very disorganized mind and okay, I, I have two hours of no client work here. So I'm going to tuck in some Lindsay time here. I'm not structured. I'm not at all. I should be, but I'm not. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I yeah I can relate to that. And this might be kind of a weird question, but, you know, so much of your work has to do with, um, you know, there's some element of soul in it and um, so much inner work involved. So how do you continue to grow in that space, you know, um, mindset wise, spiritually, however you want to define it in your own work? How do you continue to kind of tap into that creative space for yourself? Are there any go-to books you'd recommend or any other resources um, or exercises that you use to continue to make sure that you're taking care of, you know, Lindsay at all levels?
2: Yeah. I do a lot of reading and obviously I I read industry specific books, but those aren't the books that really inspire me and help me kind of Flourish in my creativity, you know, as far as phenomenology, a lot of the work that has influenced my own is from a phenomenologist called Max Van Manen, and he wrote a book called researching the lived experience. It's a pretty academic book but it's pretty understandable as well. As far as phenomenologists go, he's one of the easiest to read. Um, And I'm greatly indebted to Van Manen for a lot of my own thought processes. And yeah. And so then other things that I read, a lot of fiction, like right now I'm rereading To Kill a Mockingbird, which my reading is always slow because it's a few pages here and there before bedtime. And on Without fail, the kids come in and want to sit down and talk. That's when teenagers want to sit down and talk to mom and dad, right, is right before bed. And so I think I've been saying I've been rereading To Kill a Mockingbird for about three months. (laughs) But um, those, you know, right now I'm, I'm just starting a book called How Customers Think by Zaltman. So I'm really excited to get into that because that digs into just kind of the insights and the science behind how consumers think. And yeah, just always, just always reading probably four to five books at a time.
0: Lindsay, if you like were forced to start over, you know, from the beginning, no clients, you know, not necessarily going back to where you were at the beginning, but today, what would you do to, you know, restart your business and get it to the point where you are now, you know, at six figures working with the kinds of clients uh, that you're working with?
2: I think that I would have invested in a few copywriting specific courses earlier on. I probably tried to do it on my own for too long, instead of reaching out to the broader copywriting community. I think if I had done that, I would have, I may have found my, my niche earlier, and I just wouldn't have maybe had some of the struggles, the mindset struggles that I did that I feel like held me back or you know, just made life a living, living chaos for months at a time, you know, as I fretted over, over the future. But I think that's the biggest change I probably would have made is just found some courses early on because it just would have put me in the mindset of, of the copywriting world a lot quicker.
1: And if copywriters want to reach out to you um, or find you, do you have any specific place you want to send them?
0: A brand new website soon?
1: Sure. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
2: Brand new website soon, hopefully. So yeah, my website is lindsayhotmeyer.com. And they can find me there. That's the best place. I am on LinkedIn. They can find me there as well. So those are the two places that I hang out the most.
0: And every once in a while, you'll pop into the Copywriter Club uh, Facebook group or the underground Facebook group. So yeah, it's good to see you there. Yes. Well, thanks. Thanks, Lindsay, so much for, for coming on and sharing so much of the journey that you're kind of in the middle of and how you're going through it. There's a lot of really good takeaways and we appreciate your time.
2: It was great chatting with you guys.